That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. And we are onward and upward. Aaron, how are you doing? Um, all things considered. Well, uh, that's a great show in NPR that I listened to every day as a kid riding home from school in my dad's Volvo. It was the most uh, <laughs> stereotypical situation. Uh, the, yeah, Volvo's actually, they only play NPR. It's a little known fact. There's no other radio station yeah. you can preset in there. But I'm doing great, again, all things considered, which basically is the coronavirus way of saying I'm not doing well, but everything's terrible. So... You know, no, I mean, I'm, I'm okay. I'm healthy. I went for a run today. I had my protein shake. You know, there's, there's, and there's good stuff happening in life and the, you know, the family's healthy and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, it is true. All things considered in this crazy time, I'm doing all right. How about you? Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, I'm fine, which means feelings inside not expressed. And so, uh, you know, it is, um, it is, uh, it is what it is. I mean, this is just. I think everybody can agree. Uh, wherever you're at um, in the red blue scenario, uh, I think we can all agree. Wherever you're at in this country, um, it's a real pickle. And um, I think that. Um, but you know, the good news of the gospel is is that uh, uh, Jesus is Lord. And um, even though, despite what your eyes may be telling you, he is in complete and total control. That's right. And, uh, you know, our citizenship is in heaven. And just like uh, Jesus always uh, avoided people's attempts to make him into a political ruler um, because he had his sights set on something much bigger and broader and higher and deeper, I think as Christians, as we approach another election season in the midst of just a crazy national and global situation, uh, remembering, as you say, the Lordship of Jesus Christ has never been more important. And uh, man, mm. we're, we're clinging to that for sure. Yeah. Well, our readings today... Um, <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> well, I do. I, you know, I love um, our readings um, and uh, the uh, readings today are from Exodus chapter 17, 1 through 7, which we see the one and only true theocracy, uh, the only one nation under God, um, truly, um, Israel, and I'm not talking about, uh, you know, the current one, but the ancient Israel in the wilderness being led by God in Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. Um, and then we have, um, we're out of Romans, and we are now in the epistle of Philippians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Uh, I think we were out of that last week as well, but nonetheless, um, here we are. And then, uh, and then we have Matthew, chapter 21, verses 23 through 32. And um, really, I think for preachers, uh, the um, lens to begin with is right from our collect, where it opens up by saying, O God, you declare your almighty power chiefly in showing mercy and pity. Mm. 
uh, not by giving us lesson plans and uh, ladders to climb, but uh, mercy and pity. And so, uh, and it's his grace that enables us to run and obtain your promises, um, and uh, that we are in that partakers of your heavenly treasure. So, uh, you know, we see all of that, and uh, it's always got to be God's mercy and pity right from the get-go. Yeah, and, you know, I think there's a there's a real uh, countercultural idea contained in there that God's, uh, you know, because God shows his power, as the colleague says, through mercy and pity, mm. as opposed to crushing foes and, uh, you know, obliterating obstacles and using the kind of power that we normally think of in worldly terms and, um, you know, sticking it to people that are, you know, I don't know, get on your bad side or whatever. We tend to want to use power to exalt ourselves, to punish people, to, you know, do all that kind of stuff. And God's power is shown in his mercy. And and we're about to see that in this Exodus reading. So as we head now into these readings for Sunday, September 27th, proper 21, this uh, 17th Sunday after Pentecost, deep into ordinary time, deep into uh, the story of the Exodus, we find here, it's almost like a deja vu. So we have this similar story a few chapters back where they the Israelites complained about the lack of food and said, did you bring us out here to die in the desert? Today, the reading is about lack of water. And they're, yeah. they're camped at this place called Rephidim, and they're quarreling with Moses and say, give us water. Um, and, and Moses calls them out and says, you know, your problem is not with me, it's with, it's with the Lord. And you've seen what yeah. he's done for you, and now and you saw him rescue you from the world's biggest army, a global superpower in the time, Egypt. You saw him provide. He already gave you water. Gave you water, <laughs> gave you food, bread from heaven. What? Oh, by the way, what did you have for breakfast this morning? I mean, this is what's so amazing, is that these people got up in the morning and found their cereal bowls full of manna, just like they had every single day before that. And on the night before the Sabbath, they would always get a double portion to carry them for two days. Like, these are not people that have not had a reminder recently of God's power and provision in their lives. And yet... I picture, the, I picture them waking up every morning, like, with toothpicks, you know what I mean? Just finishing the quail. And they're like... And they're like, Moses, where's the water? Yeah. You know what I mean? These are like... I mean, these you really are beginning to get the picture. And uh, put yourself in there. Um, you are... We are stiff-necked people. You know what I mean? There's nothing to model here. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I think this is an important thing to hit on when you begin to preach this. You, know, you see, from the wilderness of sin, so first of all, it's not sin like what we think of. That's just the name of the place. Seen probably um, would have been more seen, how it's Yeah, that's right. But. but wilderness is so much more than just desert. Uh, wilderness, like in the Bible, is understood as like this place of trial and temptation where... And danger. Um, yeah, and where your like um, where your physical needs are um, put to the test and uh, literally um, put to their end, and uh, and you see that um, what happens here is the people keep wanting to go back and just give us you know more bread, give us more quail, give us more water, and uh, they are really angry. I mean, they're on the brink of never mind. I mean, the quail are running around all over the place. They are ready to stone and kill Moses. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think. Uh, it's, you know, but as much as we would like to look at these Israelites and think, oh gosh, how foolish can they be? You know, how long is it going to take them yeah. to learn this lesson? 
Man, yeah. <laughs> we are in the same boat. I remember this we story uh, on This American Life. It was the a podcast. It was in, I think, one of the 300s. And they, um, it was called Vox Diaboli, like the voice of the devil and how it tells you to, the voices in your head that tell you to do things that are against your own best interest. And, you know, the, mm. I can quit anytime I want, or I can just have one drink, or, I'll just pop, yeah. I'll just pop this one zit or whatever, and like t- so it talks about people that are alcoholics, people whose faces are scarred, and then it also talks about this guy who this emergency room doctor said like every Friday night this guy would come in with like steak lodged in his throat, and he had like this esophagus that he couldn't swallow things, but he loved steak, and so every week he would go out to the sizzler and get his steak and get it stuck in his throat and wind up in the ER like every week like clockwork. <laughs> And it's just, I mean, that's the human condition. Like, we keep, we go back to the things that we know will destroy us. And it's really easy to think about obvious sins like sex, drugs, rock and roll. But mm-hmm. the things that we like to go back to are so often invisible ones. Our resentments, our anger, our need to control things, our, mm-hmm. uh, adi- you know racist attitudes and, you know all kinds of yeah. things uh, economic oppression there's things we which we go back to again and again even just being indifferent to suffering um in the world and i think uh, you know and all of these come out of this like deep deep uh like place this hunger and thirst to be in control you know what i mean and this is what this is what israel is constantly facing is a hunger and thirst to be in control yeah a hunger and thirst to be like God, which comes out of their trauma, which is a result of being a slave. You know what I mean? I mean, the concept that like God could care for them and uh, and that they could be truly free. I mean, that's just a trauma that they are not attached to, yeah. or that is a trauma that's working out. But all of us have this trauma and it's called sin and it's our state. And it brings us constantly in conflict with God. You know, the, 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 one of the, I mean, the, when you really get at the deep issue, what's going on here is that Israel, just like all of us, we're not just thirsty, we're, we're in conflict with God. Uh, and God is the one who keeps coming after and saving them and providing them. Um, and I love how God does this in the wilderness. Yeah. Um, he leads them. Uh, and, uh, but, you know, because I think that they would just hang out. You know what I mean? They would have just hung out and uh, in Rephidim or what did they? They would have hung out just wherever they were at. But you know, God like makes them go and uh, moves them forward. And you know, and He sends Moses and the elders up to uh, to Horeb, which is Mount Sinai, to strike a rock. Where there, they are provided water out of this rock. And it's amazing. by the way, it's it's where the burning bush hole thing kind of took place. Uh, and oh, so, yeah, that's right. What's I mean. Uh, there's a couple of interesting things about it. Like God clearly wants this to be public. He says, go ahead of the people, basically, so they can all see you. Take some elders, wants them to see. Take the staff with which you struck the Nile. Again, this sign of God's power. And uh, <laughs> I just had this funny thought that Moses was a Presbyterian at this moment. You know what I mean? And so he takes his elder board. Yeah, with that's him. right. But anyway, that's right. the presbyters go with them. <laughs> but what's also you know, there's so much in this text. The people say to Moses, why did you bring us out of Egypt? That says so much because it wasn't Moses who brought them out of Egypt. Yeah, It was the Lord who brought them out of Egypt. And so often um, we 
miss what's going on because we're looking around to blame our problems on somebody or something. And we forget, as you said, that God is in control and that God is actually directing our steps and God will provide for us where we are in need. And mm. so by pointing the finger at Moses, they're kind of missing the bigger picture. They just want to blame somebody. They just want to be angry. It feels good to be angry. It feels good to be righteously indignant. It feels good to be outraged a lot of times. And so they just want to, and, it, you know, instead of doing the thing that has worked before, which is just to pray and see how God will provide, they don't do that. They just want to cast blame, which is just such a, yeah. again, such a deeply human thing. It's a way of kind of justifying your anger is what is, you know, justifying your sin is one of the things that's going on here. Yeah, and it's amazing though, but he he sends them Moses and the leaders out. So this is a very public thing to uh to Horeb, uh, where they strike the rock and they'll get the thing that they need physically. But there at Mount Horeb, they're gonna get the thing that they need spiritually ultimately as well, the thing that defines them as a people. Um, the law. And uh, you know, they're gonna they're gonna get that there. So uh God leads them, uh gets them moving to take care of the physical so that he can provide them with the ultimate spiritual, you know? And uh, that's what's happening here. And that kind of, both uh, Exodus, like basically 14 through, um, but I mean specifically 16 and 17, really tie into John chapter 6, where uh, Jesus is questioned about the manna, you know what I mean? And he he says, those who feed on me shall, uh, shall uh, never hunger, and those who uh, drink shall never thirst. And, you know, he ties this all in. And I um, just want to read a little something to everybody, because it's really, it's, it's powerful. But uh, this idea about Jesus being like the water where people never thirst, oh, I, and uh, I, the, the food that never hungers. And, you know, he leads them there. And this commentator named uh, Jameson, he's really good in his commentary on Exodus. He says, uh, uh, Jesus says, um, you know, uh, what, what is of particular interest is that Jesus goes on to say, it is the spirit that gives life in John chapter 6. The flesh is useless. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. So the connection between my flesh and my blood and the words that I have spoken to you is like a connection between water and Torah on Mount Sinai. The purpose of the water in the wilderness is to lead to the life-giving water of Torah. The life is the Eucharist is conveyed in the words of Jesus that his flesh and blood speak to our souls. That is to say, the flesh and the blood in communion proclaim the mystery that our life is renewed and sustained for eternal life through the death of God's incarnate word. I mean, that is, that's powerful. So you see God is leading them with their, for their physical need to convey to them their real spiritual need and how he fulfills that. And Jesus does the same thing. He leads us to ordinary things, bread and wine, which convey how we are fed and nourished eternally, spiritually. And so uh, that's kind of where I would go. And, uh, and indeed, uh, we can ask the same question every time we gather around that table. Is the Lord among us or not? Well, the resounding answer is yes. Yep. And yet we, for, we forget so often, again, which is why, though, we come oh, back yeah. to the table over and over again. I think it's so fascinating that they call the place Massa and Meribah, which if you were to translate <laughs> the sense of that in English, it'd be like, this is uh, Quarrelsburg and Complainingville, basically, or like yeah. te Testingville and Quarrelingburg. Um, mm. These, uh, you know, and I think it's, it's uh, there's this 
n- naming the place to remind you not of your victory and your glory, but reminding you of your failure and your sin. And I think that's something that will keep you humble. And I think it's just also a testimony to God's grace in that when they are doubting God, when they're questioning his plan, in his face, he still gives them the water from the rock. Again, breaking that whole equation of, you know, the idea that we should get what we deserve. Well, that's not how the Bible works as... It's nope. it's a world of grace. Um, and so that's perfect. And that moves us right into uh, a description of how this grace and mercy works in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 uh, through 13. And uh, what do you got going on there, Aaron? What do you think? Well, this is the famous kenotic hymn. So kenosis is a Greek word, which is used here. Uh, in Philippians 2, uh, where it says that Jesus empties himself. This is in verse 7, but he emptied himself. He kenosed ken- himself. He emptied himself. So this is the kenotic hymn, the hymn about Jesus emptying himself, because it's, it's widely seen and ha- has been for forever that this is, a, this is a hymn. This is a very early Christian kind of statement of belief, uh, almost a creed in a sense. Um, and uh, you can you can tell this in your Bible probably if you read it because it's sort of arranged on the page not like a paragraph of prose but arranged in verse like a poem, and so he's writing to these Philippians and saying uh, and kind of presenting what the Christian life looks like, which by the way means um, there should be zero selfish ambition, mm-hmm. there should be zero arrogance, there mm-hmm. should be only love. Mm-hmm. And why do we do this? Where does this come and, from? Because yeah, of Jesus. And I love it. That's right. He he lays out kind of a horizontal relationship with your neighbor, even the one you don't like. He lays that out, and then he are so a horizontal kind of idea, and then he lays out how that's possible uh, because of the vertical. And you know, the vertical is the main thing um, uh, because of Jesus's life and his essentially pity and mercy towards us, as the colic says, Mm. um, uh, then that pours out it through our life for the sake of our neighbor. It's not like I'm going to do this to make God happy, but God has done all of this for me. And so, uh, therefore, um, you know, there's sympathy and uh, his joy is complete because we love being full of cord and one mind. We do nothing from selfish ambition. That's only possible because of the horizontal. Yeah, and this, I mean... to the extent that you ever see this in human beings, it is a miracle, and it does come from having God work in your life. And it usually comes through meeting God through a massive failure in your life and uh, being emptied. We get mm. emptied. Christ emptied himself because he was he, he was the incarnate Son of God. He was the Logos. He... he um, didn't have to learn to do this. This is this is the character of God: is to empty God's self to love others who are helpless, hopeless, and lost. And so, but for human beings, the only way we get to this place, as Paul says, is by considering Jesus Christ, having an encounter with Jesus Christ. That's how you get the same mind in you that is in Christ Jesus. You come to the end of yourself, and um, uh, and the one yeah. that's not telling you like step up and try it, but the one that's full of pity and mercy to you. Mm. You know what I mean? Not the one who's calling you to a higher standard, but the one who the your failure to meet the standard. And if you thought you met the standard, let me tell you, it's moving. You know, it's it's you didn't reach it. 
And so it's encountering the one who has mercy and pity on you. And let me, I, I, I saw a tweet this week that was extremely powerful. Uh, and it was, and I think I mentioned this on my online Bible study every Wednesday, 1015 on Facebook Live and YouTube, <laughs> uh, Central Time. But uh, I, I saw a tweet from a pastor who said, when I was 24, I thought that I was being called to plant Oh, a church. I, I sent that to you. Did it's you send awesome. it to me? I didn't see. I got yes, so much Let stuff. me just. Anyways, yeah. Let me just here. Let me. I'll pull, pull it, it up. Pull quickly. it up. Share it for the people. Um. Uh, so. Uh, yeah. It's basically. Um, oh gosh, I'm having trouble finding it now too. Um. Oh, here it is. Hold on. TJ, edit out this awkward. No, no. Searching for Keep the photo. It. Here it is. Here it is. Um, the tweet is from um, uh, Derek Rish- Rishmawi um, at DZ Rishmawi. I think that's it. But anyway, it says, Pastoral goals at 24. Plant a church, grow it to several thousand, write a book, plant more churches, etc., 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 Goals at 34, make it to retirement with having, without having blown up my marriage, family, my church, or my faith. <laughs> yeah, so that's a man who has been emptied. He started, yeah. and, and you know, that's the thing about what Paul here calls selfish ambition. It is absolutely possible to look like you're serving the Lord, but be doing it out of completely selfish ambition. That first uh, life plan that guy had at 24 was a self-oriented life. You know, he could talk about God and make it sound spiritual, but clearly he's saying, I've had kind of a realization. That was about me. And what's amazing about Jesus in his ministry, like you see him doing this. You see, as I've said before, people try to make him king, and he says no. Uh, People try to give him levers of power, and he doesn't want them. Uh, And you look at how the Christian church throughout the centuries, you can look at medieval Europe, you can look at the, the Catholic church at certain times, you can look at uh, denominations in this country when they were sort of big and powerful and rich. And you can you can look at uh, certain parts of Christianity today where people in the Christian movement want political power in order to make the world better. And Jesus always rejects that. And as, yeah. as it says, what he did was emptied himself so that he could die a humiliated, condemned criminal on a Roman cross. Uh, and Paul underlines this in verse 8, not just regular death, not a noble death, not a, you know, a, a kind of a death that you'd like to paint like Socrates when he drinks the hemlock and kind of surrounded by his followers in this great, like he dies on a trash heap outside the city walls, humiliated with vultures circling overhead. Like this is how he's being spit on and mocked and just reviled. So, um this is, so when Paul says death on a cross, he's like underlining it, circling it, getting out the highlighter, saying this is how Jesus yeah. lived, and this is what we are called to. And if you've met the mercy that comes from that God flowing from his hands, his feet, and his side, and his head, like this is where our life of Christians comes from, this life of giving up mm. ourselves, not seeking glory, not seeking kind of selfish ambition. And, and I, I, yeah, so anyways, I'll stop there. Oh no! It's I was just actually a uh, couple of days ago on a pastor like a pastor's call, 
And um, it was just funny. I mean, there were tons of pastors on this call, and there's one dude who's clearly COVID thriving. You know, he is that guy in the first text. Like, he's got a new book coming out, and, uh, you know, and uh, his church is banging right now. And uh, he's got, like, his social media game. You're just like, damn, dude. And, you know, and he was talking, and you could see just everybody kind of deflating um, <laughs> as he was talking. Everybody's just, like, exhausted. And, you know, they just want to hear somebody say, my life sucks, too, right now. And uh, and they weren't getting that. He was just like, man, and I'm working on I got my prayer chair. And it's like, you know, you're like, damn. So, but... I think where a lot of people are right now is, man, you have a lot of people. How does this text, like, how would you preach this text? I would say, like, you have a lot of people who are bummed out. Um, They're like, I mean, you and I were bummed out by the whole situation. We had all sorts of plans for 2020, you know, and um, and they have like unraveled, you know what I mean? People's relationships have unraveled. People's jobs have unraveled. And, you know, they've hit the bottom. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you hear Paul talking about God himself, like not beckoning us up a ladder, but coming down and taking the form of a man and hitting not just the bottom, but the breaking through the floor. You talk about people breaking through the ceiling. That guy was breaking through the ceiling. Everybody was getting depressed. Jesus like literally breaks through the floor, through the concrete basement, and lands in the sewage, even beyond that. And uh, Paul goes on to say, therefore though, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend and every and in heaven and on earth, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And like the powerful thing about this is indeed in our lives, what was up has definitely come down. Mm. I don't know when, maybe when you raise from the dead, uh, when we finally hit bottom too, like ultimate bottom. But like the good news of the gospel is that in Christ, what's hit the ground is going to be raised. You're going to be resurrected. And that's the hope of the gospel and what people can cling to, not accomplishments, not trying harder, not looking down on, because we're all on the bottom right now. And what we need to know is, is that in Christ, what's hit the bottom is going to be resurrected. And that's the word you can give give people. And, uh, you know, in that name of Jesus, you're in it. That name is greater than Yahweh, because not every knee will bow to the name of Yahweh. Not every tongue is going to confess Yahweh is Lord, but Jesus. And you are in that name, and that's the promise, and he won't leave you or forsake you. And so, uh, you know, so we work out our our uh, our salvation with fear and trembling then. You know, now I take my part, right, Aaron? That's right. God has done so much for you, the least you can do for him is read your Bible for 15 minutes a day, which is what it means to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Isn't that right? With a little bit of journaling on the side. Mm, Wait but a second. What's the rest of the verse say? Oh my gosh, everybody always forgets that part. Verse 13, for it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And the reason you and I are making a big deal out of this is because it uh, gives the lie to that popular American religion called semi-Pelagianism, which is a heresy. Uh, Pelagius was a monk who first promoted this idea called Pelagianism, which is, he said that people were not born with original sin, and they could choose to be good, and therefore, you choose to be good. And 
people said, well, that doesn't sound exact. I mean, why did Jesus have to die for us? And maybe that's not quite right. So then this idea came out called semi-Pelagianism, which is that, yes, God does a lot of stuff. There's a lot of grace. There's a lot of help, but you have to do your part too. And uh, this ultimately ends up feeling for people who are in that system like it all depends on them. Uh, and this kind of attitude is all over in life. You find it in every sphere of human activity where people are just trying to get, trying harder to get better every day in every way. And uh, it's toxic wherever you find it um, because it's a self-absorbed, uh, works-driven sort of system that makes you either despair when you fail or judge others. If you succeed, it makes you judge others. So that's American religion, usually semi-Pelagianism, and uh, it's it's why so many people wrongly think that the Benjamin Franklin quote is in the Bible, God helps those who help themselves. Not in the Bible, yeah. not the Word of God. Uh, God yeah. helps the helpless. And so this yeah. is why he says, yeah. you know, it is God at work in you. And often that working out of your salvation and fear and trembling is, is what it looks like is coming back to the gospel over and That's over right. and over again in the Word and sacraments. And- yeah, work out, yeah, and and the truth is, is it's because you're dead, you know. Mm-hmm. For it's God who's at work in you. This word only makes sense to those of us who've been uh, crucified with Christ, mm. uh, who've been buried with Christ, and are in this age hoping against all hope uh, in that promise that we will be raised with Christ. And so this um, enables us both to will and to work for his good pleasure because we're no longer uh, worried about are we making the baby Jesus happy. Right. But we are now living in service of our neighbor, the least of these, yeah. you know. And uh, this really, I mean, black lives do matter in this in this instance now. And, uh, you know, specifics, uh, you know, uh, immigrants do matter mm. in this moment. Specifics. And uh, this becomes the enabling word when you're resurrected from the dead to see uh, truly life as it is, to see your neighbor mm. and give your all for him yeah. or her. The neighbor created in God's image and, and beloved, a precious child of God. Mm. I think, you know, and so, one more thing I just want to tie into the collect that has been the collect. Uh, you know, by the time you're listening to this, dear listener, it will have been the collect a few weeks ago, but uh, the one that we've been praying. Uh, for this week, if you're somebody who does the daily office, live streamed at 7.30 a.m. Central Time from St. Albans Episcopal Church on Facebook and YouTube. <laughs> but or wherever you're getting your morning prayer dose of goodness. Uh, the when co- is it? Yeah, no, 7.30 a.m. <laughs> Central Time. Uh, there has been um, uh, this collect. Oh God, because without you, we are not able to please you. Mercifully grant that your Holy Spirit may in all things direct and rule our hearts. This is exactly what Paul is saying in Philippians uh, uh, chapter 2 that we're reading here, that we can't please God without him doing it in us, because otherwise Mm -hmm. it's a self-directed thing, and uh, we're just patting ourselves on the back. It has to be God working in us, and he's the one that directs and rules our hearts, which is is what he's saying here in, in verses 12 and 13. So we come now to Matthew 21, 23 through 32, the gospel, and uh, let's, let's flush this out for folks. So Jesus enters into the temple. And Which the means he's priest... in Jerusalem, and it's near the end of his life. Like it's, it's, That's right. It's the, it's the final chapter here. We're hitting the pinnacle. And so um, and, uh, uh, he enters into the temple, and immediately he's approached by the religious police. Can we see some ID? And, uh, 
Mm-hmm, exactly. That's literally what they're asking him for. And uh, they are, they're fed up and uh, they are saying, you know, show us your credentials. Show us your credentials. By what authority are you doing these things? You know, I mean, this is, I mean, this is the question that every American is asking right now. You know, by what authority is Donald Trump doing these things? By what authority is Joe Biden well, staying in his basement, you know, I mean, but like, by what, what authority is going on here? You know, uh, that is, um, uh, Americans are looking for some authority, aren't we? Mm-hmm. Yeah, somebody that will fix it, make things better, uh, cause our side to win, uh, trounce our enemies and opponents, make them mm-hmm. look bad, all that sort of stuff. So yeah, there's a question of authority. But what's interesting here is this passage, Jesus clearly shows that when people usually when they're asking, you know, who gave you authority to do these things, they actually don't really care. They've already yep. made up their mind. And so he And that's the same thing in our political discourse in this country. Right. You know what I mean? I mean, like as if like 90% of the people in New York City, you're going to convince them to wear a MAGNA hat. It's not happening. And as if you're going to convince the other half in South Carolina, hey, man, maybe you should, you know, vote, vote, vote blue. Yeah, I'm on a personal campaign to get Texans to drive (laughs) Priuses, and it's not going well. It's it's not. But I mean, what I'm saying, like this, this moment, this paragraph really um, hits our current political day. Um, in a powerful way, and um, and I think you know, the, the the Pharisees are not asking this question to be convinced. They want to the trap him. Yeah, they want to trap him, and that's what we're doing most of the time in our conversations with people. We're trying to trap them. Mm-hmm. And so John or, or Jesus sees them doing this, and he calls their bluff, and he says, to quote Zoolander, "Let me answer <laughs> your question with another question." How many Aboriginals do you see modeling? No. So the first part, though, is what's important. He answers their question with a question, which is to say, um, okay, I'll answer your question about my authority, but first you have to answer a question about the authority of John the Baptist. Mm. Was he a divinely credentialed messenger of God, or was he just making it up on his own? And they realize, well, we can't answer that because everybody, clearly, all the people <laughs> who are all standing around watching us now, the the unwashed masses, the the, the you know the pew warmers, are mm-hmm. they, they all love John. John was amazing and did incredible things. And so if, he told them what to do. That's right. That's right. And he says, if we say he's from heaven, they'll be like, well, then why didn't you listen to him? And if we say he wasn't from heaven, they'll kill us because everybody thinks he was this uh, great prophet. And so they just they cop out. They're like, um, we don't know. We we just. We've decided that we don't know. They're, they basically plead the fifth here. And um, so Jesus says, well, fine, if you can't, like basically he's revealed their hearts. And he says, if yeah, that's right. It, I've just shown you that you don't really care what my answer is about where my authority comes from. And so what's the point in answering your question? And that's and that's an interesting thing when you, when you like kind of talk about like this in re- regards to apologetics and sharing the faith. There's a difference between real... Um, like skepticism and a curiosity about the gospel and cynicism about it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, and, you know, when we talk about the faith and share the faith with others, you know, I mean, that is, that's a real, there's a difference between being a skeptic and uh, like wanting the truth yep. and uh, desiring to ex- explore the truth and being a cynic. And um, I think where we're at with political discourse on the horizontal level is we've uh, we're, there's a lot of cynicism. But I think, uh, you know, um, God willing, there uh, will be people in your church who may be skeptical about Jesus. And, um, you know, and 
this is a wonderful thing to share. But uh, this is the this is this is how you distinguish the two. Yeah, and that's what's going on here: cynicism. And he and Jesus then kind of continues this rabbinical discourse and uses a a parable about two sons, and uh, um, this is seen by many as kind of the short Cliff Notes version of the prodigal son story, a father with two sons. One says, I won't obey you, but then he does. That's obviously the prodigal, the one who returns home after coming to his senses. And one that says, I will obey you, but really his heart is far from the father. And he has this outward display of righteousness, but inside he's kind of lost and um that's me with the dishes <laughs> mel was always like that's right you do the dishes and i'm like of course yes. and then they're still there like on yeah. you know she asked me on monday they're still in there on thursday so anyway that's right my house is full of socks of people <laughs> that they said they would pick up so it's just socks as far as the eye can see but uh so and jesus asked this question like which one did the will of the father and it was clearly the one who looked disobedient but was actually obedient because the the reason the religious leaders are asking Jesus, the reason they're questioning his authority is because he has been spending so much time with sinners. And he is uh, eating with them, he's partying with them, he seems to, at least by his presence, approve of their activities. He's not condemning them, that's for sure. Uh, and so... Um, how how could he have the authority to do these miracles, to teach about God? What gives him the right to teach about God when he's hanging out with such ungodly people? And Jesus here is trying to say, well, look, these ungodly people are coming to faith. They're, they're, yes, they were folks who said no to their father, but now they've decided to come, come back. And so um, he says, you know, basically, be careful if you're going to judge the tax collectors and the prostitutes, because God, again, is not a God of uh, rewarding good people and punishing bad, God is a God of grace and forgiveness, as, as you said at the very and, beginning. Shows, he shows his power chiefly through showing mercy. And uh, yeah, Absolutely, and uh, that's the only way anybody comes to God, is through his mercy and his pity, because people who think they're going to earn it actually hate the law as well. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, that's his very point here. Uh, you know, uh, John came to you in a in the way of righteousness, and you didn't believe him. He gave you like he elevated the steps. You know, he took he took the Pharisaical plan and took it to the next level, and you hated him. Yep. You went out and asked him by what authority he does these things, and you know. But the tax collectors and prostitutes they believed him because they heard the law pitched to highest pitch, and they were like, "This is impossible." Yeah. And even after you saw it, you did not change your minds and believe him. You know what I mean? You have to realize that the only way you can relate to God is through mercy and pity, um, and uh, and that is that is how He comes to you, mm -hmm. um, and that's what He gives you in Jesus. Uh, not in not in a not in a self improvement plan, but in mercy and pity, and that's a man. Tax collectors and prostitutes, and it's not to say that they got better. Who cares if they did or didn't? They still come, mm -hmm. you know. And that's what that's 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 the issue. And I think you know the if if I were to preach this passage, I think uh, I would probably um, hone in on verse thirty one. Who did the will of the Father? Because a lot of people want to do God's will. What's God's will for my life? How do I do God's will? And a lot of us think it means kind of being a really good person so that we get a gold star from Jesus. And what this passage clearly shows is what is the will of God? The will of God is that you would trust in Christ, not in yourself. The will of God is that you would repent. And not just from, you know, your day-to-day -day silly little sins, uh, 
what he wants you to repent from is your whole attitude of you're better than other people because you're getting it done or because you have some sort of, I don't know, whatever the case may be. It's like a repentance of your whole egocentric attitude. If you are a person who is self-righteous, look out because this passage is coming for you and it is loaded for bear. So... And Jesus clearly says that when he's asked by the Pharisees, they're like, well, then what is the will of God? And he says that you believe in the one whom he sent. Mm -hmm. That's it. He doesn't say that you believe in the one whom he sent, and then you go out and do all these great things. You start a social ministry. You know, you do that. Like, no, no, that you believe in the one whom he sent. Like, that's it, full stop. Now, that impacts everything else, but that is not where your justification comes from. That's right. So, as you preach, uh, dear preacher, or as you hear a sermon listener, uh, remember, as we see in this passage over and over again, God showing his grace to sinful people. He's not looking for perfect people. He's not looking for folks who are making the grade. He's looking for people that know that he is God and they are not, and so they trust in him to provide the impossible situation, water from the rock, life from death, uh, glory in the midst of a shameful cross, and... uh, tax collectors and prostitutes getting into heaven ahead of the pastors and Mm -hmm. the vestry members and the board of elders and all those folks. This is the unpalatable, deeply crazy idea of Christianity, and it's in every single one of these passages, so make sure your people hear that message. Hallelujah. God bless you all. We'll see you next week. Peace. Thanks for listening to Same Old Song, and we hope you found some nuggets that will be helpful either in your preaching or just in your life. If you liked what you heard, we would love it if you could leave a rating or review on iTunes. Dave's all will be sad if you don't. We'd like to thank the Narrativo Group for audio production. Keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.